Gonzaga falls to Purdue in the first game of the Maui Invitational, 73-63, to after a great first half of basketball and then a complete lack of offense in the second half. What happened and what's next? You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome into the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by Prize Picks. Folks, go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college. Use that promo code locked on college for a first deposit match of up to $100. Prize Picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. Well, folks, we're going to discuss Syracuse, Gonzaga's opponent, on Tuesday. The game will be at 11.30 a.m. Pacific time. We're going to talk about that game, what that means for Gonzaga, how they can potentially match up against the Orange. But we have to start the show with Gonzaga's loss to Purdue because it's a bit of a difficult loss to fully figure out how we feel. Because on one hand, Gonzaga played the second-ranked team in the country. They led them at halftime. They led them for clear almost 17 minutes in the first half, literally almost wall to wall in the first half. Purdue went up six to nothing. Gonzaga went on a very quick 12-nothing run and just basically led from that point forward in the first half. It was clear, and this is the main takeaway that I have. It was clear to me that Gonzaga is more than capable of playing with the top top team in the country. I have Purdue ranked number one in my rankings. A lot of people have them second or third. Either way, Purdue is one of, if not the very best team in college basketball. Gonzaga very clearly is capable of playing with them, even in the second half when things did not go well for Gonzaga. And boy, did they not go well for Gonzaga in that second half. Gonzaga proved they can play with this team. Last year when things fell apart in the second half against Purdue, and yeah, it's annoying that we're talking about the same thing happening almost exactly one year later, but when things fell apart last year, things fell apart last year. I mean, they really fell apart. This game was a 10-point game that ultimately was decided in the last two or three minutes of the game. It was over. I think there was a point where Ryan Nembhard airballed a three. Uh, Purdue came back, hit a three. That game a 12-point lead. That was it. That was the moment when the game was basically over, but it was competitive for 37 minutes and it was competitive for a huge chunk of the second half, despite the fact that Gonzaga could not find the bottom of the net to save their dang lives. The shooting in the second half was as abysmal as we have ever seen from a Gonzaga basketball team. It was just horrific. There's no other way to describe it. It was bad, bad, bad. But for Gonzaga to be able to hang with a team that boasts the national player of the year in Zach Eady, with a team that has very legitimate NCAA tournament championship aspirations, looking to become the next team after Virginia, this only other team that has ever lost to a 16 team seed, they are looking to do the same thing. And quite frankly, they look like a team capable of doing it. They have to prove it in March. Certainly, they have a long ways to go until they do that. But this is a polished team. The guards are improved from where they were a year ago. Fletcher Lawyer didn't have a great offensive game in this one, but Braden Smith did. He looked outstanding for Purdue in this contest. And Gonzaga hung with them. Gonzaga proved they are capable of playing with this team, in my mind, unquestionably. Unquestionably. Gonzaga is a top 10, top 15 ranked team, kind of depending on where you're looking. AP still has them at 11. I don't think that this result in particular indicated that they are in any way over or under ranked. A 10 
the top 10 team losing to a top two team by 10 in a competitive game throughout, that feels about right. We will, of course, see how the rest of this tournament goes. Gonzaga has to play a Syracuse team that is not a top 25 caliber team at this point. I think they're 118th in Ken Palm. We'll get to them a little bit later in the show. But if Gonzaga wins that game, if then Gonzaga will get a chance to play some combination of UCLA, Marquette, uh, probably one of those two teams, assuming they beat Syracuse. If they beat Syracuse, Syracuse will play Chaminade. Gonzaga will play either UCLA or Marquette, potentially Kansas, uh, as I'm recording this before uh, the rest of those games in the Maui Invitational have happened. But I think for Gonzaga, this proves that they are a top 10, top 15 team in the country. It also proves that they have some serious things they need to work on. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of that stuff in the second half. But really, the issue came down to one thing and one thing only. Gonzaga could not find the bucket in the second half. I mean, that's 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 it. That's that's the thing. Gonzaga did a lot of good things defensively. They did a lot of good things out in transition. Zach Eady had himself a good game, but I didn't think Gonzaga had a, a terrible game plan against him. I thought they actually did some good things against him defensively. I thought we saw a quality game plan that was executed really well in the first half. And then things just fell apart in the second half. Gonzaga shot six of 32 from three in this contest. That's 18.8%. Six of 32. They did not make a three in the second half. Not a single one. Some of them were bad shots. Some of them were just Graham E.K. taking a contested three with Zach Edu's face. We don't want to be doing that. Some of them were late, you know, late possessions, just got to get a shot up type of things. Some of them were just wide the heck open and they just, they just missed them. They just did not go into the basket. Shots they would normally make. Ryan Nemhard was one of nine. That is not who Ryan Nembhard is as a three-point shooter. He pushed the pace. He got Gonzaga out in transition. He did some decent stuff on both ends of the floor, found some good cutters for some open shots. But when he had open looks for three, he didn't even come close. Just could not find the bucket in any way, shape, or form. The other bad stuff in this game that was very frustrating, Gonzaga's inability to get to the free throw line. Not only could they not make a three in this contest, they weren't willing to attempt to, to do anything else. I get it. Zach Eady is an absolute monster. The, there were a handful of times where Gonzaga did attempt to get to the basket and Zach Eady erased it very quickly. Blocked a Ryan Nembhard shot into the stands. Ben Gregg had an opportunity to score an easy lay, and if he shot it with his left hand, he shot it with his right hand. Zach Eady erased the heck out of it. I get why it's hard to go into the paint against a team that has Zach Eady on it. But Gonzaga took eight free throws in this game, and a lot of them were at the end of the game. You have to put more pressure on the opposing team. You have to get them in the air. You have to draw contact. You have to get to the charity stripe. Have to, have to, have to. I understand why the game plan involved more outside shooting in this game. But when Gonzaga couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, they didn't attempt to, to restructure their offense to do something different. I would have rather seen them get stuffed by Zach Eady four more times than take contested threes that just that clearly weren't going in. So it wasn't a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination. And it wasn't a perfect game plan. There was frustration of things that happened in that second half. There was also some good things. Graham E.K. had 14.7 boards on 6 of 10 shooting. He also nailed two threes. Really nice game from Graham E.K. Had some, some flaws, some frustrations. Nobody was perfect in this game, but that's a really nice performance from him. I thought Nolan Hickman played well. The stats aren't necessarily going to show that. He had four turnovers. He missed a lot of shots in this game as well. He's only one of three from deep, but he was five of 14 from the field. But I thought he looked good. 
He had three steals. He got out in transition. He looked more confident. I like the version of Nolan Hickman that the Zags have right now, even if this was not his best performance. I also like what we saw from Ben Ben Gregg and Braden Huff coming off the bench. Neither of them shined the way that we've seen them shine in previous games. Gregg only had two points, but he had six boards and three steals. Braden Huff had six points and six boards. Certainly not the Braden Huff we've seen earlier in the season for Gonzaga, but 6.6 boards against a team like Purdue coming off the bench. I think you're going to take that performance from him. You're going to be happy with that. This is a growth opportunity for Gonzaga, and they proved in a lot of ways that they can execute a game plan and they can hang with a really, really good team. A lot of things went wrong. Second half was was grating and frustrating to watch. I know many of you felt that. I'm recording this shortly after the game, and I'm still feeling that frustration from that game. But there was a lot of things that Gonzaga did well. They defended the perimeter well. And what I want to do now is I want to evaluate what our pregame keys to this game were. Did Gonzaga execute on those keys? Where did they not execute? And what does that mean for them going forward? We're going to talk about all that after a word from today's sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. Folks, these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best and most qualified candidates available. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs, which helps find the right people for your team faster. And they do it for free. It's super easy to create a free job post. And then all you do is add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. From there, simple tools like screening questions can make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience so that you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. Folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zacks your first listen or your first watch of the day, even after a loss. Shout out to those everyday listeners. Shout out to those of you who are hanging out with us in the Discord channel where we talk through this game, had a little therapy session for all of you. I also want to talk about Locked On's has their new initiative. They've launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today, you go to the channel, it is streaming literally 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows. You can see Locked On College Basketball on there every day at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Locked On Zags will be there as well periodically. So go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. All right, folks, want to go over the five keys to the game that we laid out ahead of this matchup against Purdue and kind of look at where Gonzaga thrived, where they maybe didn't thrive, and what that might mean for them going forward this season. The first key in this matchup was to punish Purdue for going under on screens. We know that Zach Eady is going to go under on those screens. We knew that that was going to create opportunities for Gonzaga to get some of those open looks. It didn't work. It didn't work. There were a couple of great plays that I made notes on uh, that showed Gonzaga's ability to do this. A couple of times where they set the screen, there's one where Hickman came off the screen, Edie was in drop coverage, he was kind of back on his heels a little bit, and Hickman attacked at the basket, finished through contact, did not get a call there, uh, but made the shot. Really nice performance from him doing stuff like that. We also saw Nemhard do it too, scoring around Zach Edie coming off a screen in drop coverage. The problem was that Gonzaga was not able to take advantage of the drop coverage by hitting threes. Graham Ike hit a pair of threes early in the game, that was great. That looked like exactly what we wanted to see. Ike hitting those threes because uh, because Edie's playing back, leaving him open, 
And then things just fell apart. That portion of Gonzaga's offense disappeared in the second half, partly because Purdue made some adjustments and partly because Gonzaga just couldn't find the basket. It was just one of those afternoons for the Bulldogs in Lahaina. Next up was getting out in transition. And we saw a good amount of Gonzaga getting out in transition. I would have liked to see more, but Gonzaga also looked just gassed in the second half. I think there's some some depth concern there, some fatigue potential issues there. I mean, this is something we've seen Gonzaga do to other teams a lot. It reminded me a little bit of the Gonzaga-Memphis game in the 2022 NCAA tournament when Gonzaga basically just out-athleted Memphis in the second half by getting out in transition, running and running and running, and Memphis just couldn't keep up. That's kind of what Purdue did to Gonzaga in this game. Purdue was not getting out in transition in the first half. They were methodical, half-court offense, going through Edie. And in the second half, particularly early in the second half, Lance Jones, the Southern Illinois transfer, just kept getting out in transition, getting easy buckets in transition, easy lay-ins, and Gonzaga just couldn't really keep up. It was nice to see the opportunities where Gonzaga did get in transition. We saw them early in the game. We saw a few late in the game. Anton Watson had a few steals, had a few buckets. That way, getting out in transition, Nolan Hickman had back-to-back possessions where he got a steal, uh, one of them where he was unable to convert, the other one where I think he also didn't convert, but Gonzaga got the ball out of bounds and scored off that one. So we did see Gonzaga do some transition offense, and I think that will be a big part of their uh, story this season. It just wasn't something they were able to do for the full 40 here and, and Purdue kind of credit to them for doing a good job of not letting Gonzaga do it too often. Number three key for Gonzaga was defending the perimeter. We knew Edie was going to get his. He had a phenomenal game, 25 and 14, but the hope was that Gonzaga would be able to prevent the rest of Purdue's uh, guards from shooting from deep. And we talked about how I think Purdue hit 12 threes against Gonzaga last year in the Fairleigh Dickinson game and their struggles, more recent struggles, they haven't shot well from three. So we thought, hey, a big key is if you can prevent Purdue from making a bunch of threes, you could probably win this game. Well, Gonzaga did that. One of six for Purdue in the first half, four of 17 total for Purdue in this game. They did not shoot well from beyond the arc. Just didn't matter. Just didn't matter. Gonzaga's perimeter defense was good. Gonzaga's overall defense in this game was good. Purdue's a great offensive team that was held to 73 points. Purdue shot under 47% from the field in this game. They shot under 24% from three. This was a not good offensive performance by Purdue. So that is a great sign for Gonzaga going forward that they were defensively more than capable of playing well against Purdue. I know it felt, especially in the second half, like Gonzaga's defense kind of faltered. And it did. It got worse in the second half. Purdue scored 30 in the first half, 43 in the second half. But at the end of the day, this was not a not a bad performance by Gonzaga defensively. Just the issues, the issues came on the other end of the floor. Number four, four forced turnovers. Again, Gonzaga did a pretty good job of this. Both teams had five turnovers in the first half. At the end of the game, Gonzaga had 14. They had nine in the second half. But Purdue had 13, eight in the second half. Some of them were just kind of some some mysterious turnovers by Purdue. There was one time where I think Fletcher Lawyer just basically handed the ball to Dusty Stromer on an out-of-bounds play. I'm not really sure what happened there. There was a couple other times where the ball just bounced off people's feet. Uh, it was a little bit of a sloppy game in some some ways. I think some adjustments to the floor, some adjustments to where they were playing. Uh, but at the end of the day, Gonzaga did a really good job of actually forcing turnovers. Not a lot of dead ball turnovers for Purdue. Nolan Hickman had three steals in this game, including two on back-to-back possessions. Ben Gregg, off the bench, also had three steals in this game. Very active hands from him. It was really nice to see his performance 
defensively. I mean, he struggled against Zach Eady, but literally everybody struggled against Zach Eady. So I don't think it's fair to really hold that against him. It's two years in a row where Ben Gregg has, has put together a solid defensive performance against Purdue. He had three steals. Hickman had three steals. Ryan Nembhard also had three steals. Dusty Stromer had a pair of steals and Anton Watson had a steal as well. The vast majority of Purdue's turnovers coming from steals by Gonzaga. Really good to see those active hands defensively, putting some pressure on Purdue's guards, forcing them into some turnovers. Again, a few of them were just kind of gift-wrapped for them, but that happens. Gonzaga certainly had their fair share of gift-wrapped turnovers going back the other direction, unfortunately, in this one. But I think if you want to take a positive note from this game outside of the really solid first half that Gonzaga played, it would be their ability to force live ball turnovers, get out in transition off of those turnovers. Again, Gonzaga playing well defensively against Yale or against Mississippi Valley State, Jackson State, Cal State Bakersfield, some of those other teams that they're going to play later in this year. It's not not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination, but playing well defensively against one of the best offenses in the entire country is fantastic. The offense didn't show up today, but the defense did. And I think that's a really key thing to take away, not only from this game, but potentially going forward for Gonzaga. If they can be that caliber of defense, pesky, annoying, forcing turnovers, getting out in transition, that's going to lead to a lot more victories and losses for the Zags this year. Our final key in this one was to start fast. And this happened. This happened. I, I made a, my first note said, Purdue up 6 nothing, fail. What happened after that is Gonzaga went on an immediate 12 nothing run, instant. Nolan Hickman hit a three, Graham E.K. hit a three, bing, bang, boom. The Zags were out and running 12 12 Oh, run after that, took a 12-6 lead, and then pretty much led for the entire rest of the first half. Gonzaga did get out to a fast start. Not immediately. It took them about a minute. Zach Eady scored a couple points, and then Gonzaga kind of kicked it into gear. But that was a really fun first half of basketball, really fun first 10 minutes of this game. Proof once and for all that Gonzaga, again, can play with this team, can play with this caliber of program. How they respond from this is going to be key. Can they also get out to a start a, a fast start against Syracuse? Can they with can they play a full 40 minutes? Those are things that I want to talk about to close out the show. We're closing the book on this loss to Purdue. I'm sure we'll reference it again at some point, but we're going to move on for right now because as you're listening to this, we're maybe only a couple hours away from Gonzaga tipping off against a Syracuse team that is no longer coached by Jim Beheim for the first time since Gerald Ford was the president. We're going to talk about what Gonzaga needs to do to secure a victory against the Orange on Tuesday after a word from today's sponsor, Prize Picks. Folks, PrizePix offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like their Taco Tuesday deal. Every Tuesday, PrizePix discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide you with even more value. Plus, with the PrizePix reboot policy, your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. So for NFL games and college football top 25 matchups, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and they do not return in the second half, that player is rebooted. Folks, this is unprecedented in the daily fantasy sports space. This is the only DFS platform that has injury insurance. And guys, this app is just so easy to use. All you have to do is pick two or more players and choose more or less with whatever the given stat is. If they're giving you Chet Holmgren 18 and a half points or three and a half blocks, you're hitting the over because he is routinely hitting over those numbers. If you didn't see his 36.10 rebound, five assist game against the Golden State Warriors, go back and watch that one in absolute joy of a contest. Anyway, go to prizepicks.com, 
slash locked on college. Use that promo code locked on college and you will get a first deposit match of up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash locked on college. Use the promo code locked on college for a first deposit match of up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, folks, closing out the show today. Again, flushing the loss to Purdue out of our heads for right now. We're going to focus on Gonzaga's Tuesday morning opponent, the Syracuse Orange, 11.30 a.m. is when that game is going to take place. I believe it is on ESPN2. Uh, it will be on one of the ESPN platforms, at, at least I can guarantee you that. Uh, again, Syracuse is the opponent because they lost the first game of the Maui Invitational to Tennessee. The score was 73-56. to 56. I watched this game. It was closer than that. Tennessee, excuse me, pulled away late in the first half. I think they ended up the first half with like a 10 or 11 point lead, but it was pretty close for the majority of the first half. Tennessee pulled away late in the first half and it stayed pretty close for the first chunk of the second half. And then Tennessee ultimately just out-athleted Syracuse. They're a better basketball team. It finally kind of came to fruition where they were able to secure the victory here. This isn't a surprising result. Tennessee's a top 10 team in the country. Uh, Many people have them top five. I think I had them eighth or ninth on my top 25 ranking, but I know my colleague Leif Tulin of the Locked On College Basketball Podcast has them number one. So this is a team with a lot of pedigree. Going to be a fun matchup with Purdue. But now Gonzaga gets Syracuse. And Syracuse so far on the season, three and one. Their, their only loss being, of course, that loss to Tennessee on Monday. They have a win over New Hampshire by 11 points, a win over Canisius by 12 points, and then a narrow win over Colgate, a four-point win there. So I haven't really played any super legitimate competition outside of Tennessee. Ken Palm is not a huge fan right now, has them 118th in the country. Adjusted offense is 107th. Adjusted defense is only 140th. Early season Ken Palm stuff is a little bit wonky, especially because it takes into account a lot of previous year projections. Syracuse is a brand new team with a brand new coach, a lot of new players. So it's a little bit harder to pin down. I suspect that Syracuse is better. There aren't. I don't think there's 117 teams in college basketball better than Syracuse. I don't think Syracuse is a top 30 team. I probably don't think they're a top 50 team, at least not right now, but I wouldn't be shocked if by the end of the year they finish the top 75 in Ken Palm, especially with a solid ACC schedule to go off of. I think this is a quality team, and I thought they looked pretty good against Tennessee. Having said that, Gonzaga is better. Gonzaga should win this game. This is a winnable game. In theory, if you use Ken Palm as gospel, Yale is a better team than Syracuse at this point, so that's kind of the the comparison right now, but the main thing for Syracuse, they got a pair of really good guards, Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling. Judah Mintz, sophomore, averaging 23 points, 5 assists, 3 boards, and 2.3 steals a game. Starling's averaging 13.3 points, 6.3 boards, and 4.3 assists. Transfer over from Notre Dame. This team is playing less zone than they used to in the Jim Beheim era, the very, very long Jim Beheim era. They are still playing some zone under Coach Red Autry. He did play first Jim Beheim after all. He has been a longtime coach under Jim Beheim as well. So they're still going to play some zone. We'll talk about that. Uh, but they also don't have a ton of size. Their starting center is Florida State transfer Naheem McLeod. Those of you who were daily listeners of Locked On Zags over the offseason, shout out to you. You may have heard us talk about Naheem McLeod when he was in the transfer portal as a potential option for the Gonzaga to pursue in the portal as a shot blocking backup big. And he's seven foot four. 
That's why we had him on the radar for Gonzaga to pursue. He's over at Syracuse. We'll talk about what that means. So we're going to go somewhat quickly through my five keys to the game, five keys to victory for Gonzaga to end up going one and one in the first two days of the Maui Invitational and playing for that fifth place trophy again, likely against Marquette or UCLA on Wednesday. First key, punish the zone with outside shooting. Syracuse might run a lot more zone against Gonzaga if they watched them play against Purdue and saw them miss 27 three-pointers. Excuse me, 26 (laughs) three-pointers. Get that correct there. If I'm Syracuse, if I'm Coach Autry, I'm going to probably give that a try because you have to make Gonzaga beat you from three, and they did not prove that they're capable of doing that. I think they're capable of doing that. Many of you probably think they're capable of doing that, but if I was Coach Autry, I'd make them prove it. So for me, a huge key for Gonzaga, if we see that zone or how often we will see it, how often we see that zone, Gonzaga has to punish it. Knock down open threes, shoot over the top of that zone. Ryan Nempard and Nolan Hickman cannot combine to go two of 12 from three. It cannot happen. Throw Graham E.K. in the middle of that zone. Let him operate right there. Have Anton Watson running down the baseline. You can create a really solid zone offense against this Syracuse team. And if you're punishing them from outside shooting, they're going to back out of it and have to go back to man. Key number two, get the ball out of Judah Mintz's hands. Judah Mintz is a really, really good. There's a good chance he's a first-round pick in the 2024 NBA draft. 23 points per game through their first four games. He looked excellent against Tennessee, and they have one of the best perimeter defenses in the entire country with Sakai Ziegler and Santiago Vescovi. He's really talented. So the best thing for Gonzaga to do is get the ball out of his hands, whether that's half-court traps, whether that's really high ball hedges on those screens, whatever they can do, to get the ball out of his hands. Make somebody else beat them. Maybe it'll be Jimmy Bell. Maybe it will be a, a JJ, JJ Starling, excuse me. Somebody else on this team has to step up. Judah Mintz is the best player on this team by far. Gonzaga's best key to victory. Don't let him dominate this game. Don't let him be ball dominant. Don't let him have the ball constantly in his hands. Force him to give it up. Force somebody else to step up for the Orange because frankly, I'm not sure they have it. I'm not sure somebody else can necessarily do that. Key number three, draw fouls and get to the freaking free throw line. Gonzaga took eight free throws against Purdue. Many of them came at the very end of the game. Luke Kranovich got fouled literally with no time left on the clock. Anton Watson got a couple free throws in the last two minutes of the game. That was basically it. Naheem McCloyd plays about 16 minutes per game for Syracuse. He's seven foot four. He's a great rim protector. They don't have a ton of depth in the front court outside of him. They just don't. They lost Jesse Edwards, who's one of the best bigs in the ACC last year. He transferred to West Virginia. They're short-staffed in the front court. Gonzaga needs to make them pay. I do not expect Gonzaga to take more threes than twos like they did in this game against Purdue. There's no reason to do that. They should be giving the ball to EK early and often, giving the ball to Braden Huff when he's in the game, letting Ben and Anton get some low touches on the block, force those bigs to foul them. Or if they don't foul them, score on them. This needs to be a part of the game plan. It was not a part of the game plan against Purdue. Again, I understand why most teams don't have a Zach Eady, but this needs to be a part of this game. Get to the free throw line, convert from the free throw line, and force Purdue or force Syracuse to be in their depth earlier in this game because they have foul trouble. Key number four, play a full 40 minutes. Don't just play a good half. And look, it is hard. You've traveled uh, hours and hours away. You're in a completely different time zone. You're playing three games in three days. It's a team that has less depth than they thought they were going to have because of the Steel Venters injury. It is tough, but you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Syracuse is a team that you can probably beat in 30 minutes. 
maybe 35 minutes, but you have to play, you got to play 40. The ideal situation here is Gonzaga can beat, can beat Syracuse to the point where they can play Luka Krinovich and Jun Sakyo four or five minutes at the end of the game. That would be ideal because the more rest those guys get, the more prepared they are for UCLA or Marquette on that Wednesday game. But the best case scenario for Gonzaga here is that they play a full 40 and they, they don't let up. They don't let off the brakes. They don't, or they don't let off the gas. They don't punch the brakes. They don't have a sloppy start to the second half. They come out and play a focused basketball game for a full 40 minutes or full 35 minutes. And the backups can come in and give some of the starters some rest to close out the game. Final key, same key we had against Purdue, start fast. Start fast in this one. How you respond to a loss is vital. This is something Mark Few wants to learn about this team. He knows, he, he, he knew, or he thought he could get an opportunity to learn against in this contest because he knew that Maui's going to be really hard and winning all three games we play in Maui's going to be tough. So when, whenever Gonzaga loses, he wants to see how does this young, inexperienced group respond to playing a basketball game less than 24 hours after losing an emotional, physical, challenging game against the top three team in the country. The best way to prove that this team has that moxie, has that ability, has that kind of it factor is to go out and put up another 12-0 run. Don't let Syracuse get a couple points early either. Go 12-0, 14-2, 16-3, I don't know, whatever it may be. Start fast. Shove it down Syracuse's throat early in this game. Make them call an early timeout. That's the way to do it. If you can do that against the Syracuse team, you can do the other stuff, get that ball out of Mince's hands, punish the defense you have a great chance of not only winning, but potentially even coasting to a victory, which would make them even more set up for whatever game they end up playing on Wednesday. That's going to wrap us up for today here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Thank you so much for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. We'll be back on Tuesday after that Syracuse game, talking about how that match went, talking about previewing their upcoming game against, again, either UCLA, Marquette, Chaminade, potentially, or Kansas as well, all coming up on a future episode of Locked On Zags. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as always, even after a loss, go Zags.